You are listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host, Liz MacArthur, and joining me today in the studio is Melanie Callis, who's doing her master's in anthropology here at UVic. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's maybe start by narrowing down a little bit what you are, um, uh, what you're studying more specifically than just anthropology here at the university. Yes, so I actually specialize in drug research. Hmm. So I guess I could be considered a cultural anthropologist, but I'm in a very specific niche. So I study the influence that people's friends have on their ecstasy use hmm. and um, how their friends influence if they decide if their ecstasy is pure or not. Oh, interesting. And I feel like that would be probably of interest to at least some population of students at here at the university. Maybe before we go forward, you can um, explain what ecstasy is for any listeners that don't know what you're talking about. Yes. So I just got very specific there. So <laughs> I'm studying the synthetic drug ecstasy. So the chemical name is methylene dioxymethamphetamine or MDMA for short. So it's really popular party drug. It's an amphetamine. So it causes, um, it's a stimulant and it also causes feelings of euphoria, empathy, closeness, makes listening to music extra special. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it gives people lots of energy so they dance all night usually at clubs raves parties Mm. um and so you're studying this from an anthropological perspective rather than like a chemical or chemistry perspective so you're looking at friends and like social structures rather than say like the chemical impact on people's bodies and brains is that right Yeah, exactly. So I'm looking at sort of the social side of it. So I'm uh, looking at how people's friends help them decide if their ecstasy is actually pure MDMA and why they decided to take ecstasy in the first place and what role their friends had in that decision and why people like using ecstasy with their friends as opposed to strangers. And so I'm not um, looking too closely at the chemical side at all. So. Hmm. Um, why did you get into this field? What is it that sort of made you decide that this is what you were going to do your master's on? Well, uh, about two years ago, I started volunteering at the Center for Addictions Research of British Columbia, or CARBC, which is a research center affiliated with UVic. And I started volunteering there because one of my teachers at the time, who's actually my supervisor now, he works there as well. And so he took me over there just to introduce me to everybody. And I started volunteering for uh, the alcohol and other drug monitoring project that they do there. So they interview recreational drug users, mostly at UVic and Camosun, 
and just ask them, like, what drugs do you do? Where do you get them? How much do they cost? Have you had any harms or problems caused by drug use? So they collect data on drug use to reduce harms. So I started volunteering for this study and doing the interviews myself. And so I became interested in recreational drug use because of that. And then I started working as a research assistant there. So now I do a similar job, but I get paid now. And I would ask questions from the survey about ecstasy. So anyone who used ecstasy, we would ask some questions like, what do you do to minimize harms from ecstasy use? And the biggest response is I discuss the purity of ecstasy with my friends as opposed to other possible strategies like using or owning a home testing kit or getting information from harm reduction services. And so I wanted to know why asking friends was so popular and using a testing kit and other strategies were not popular at all. (laughs) Because in the survey, it's just sort of a yes or no type question. So they're not in depth at all. Hmm. Yeah, you'd think that the scientific method would be preferable to just asking your friends when it comes to determining purity (laughs) of something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Hmm. then that's why I got the idea for my master's. I thought I could expand on this information by interviewing ecstasy users and asking the why for all of these questions from the survey. Mm-hmm. Um, how far are you along now? Have you had the opportunity to interview a lot of people or are you uh, just in the beginnings? I've interviewed 10 people and that's actually my whole sample. Mm-hmm. So I aim to do more in-depth interviews. So I just finished my interviews last week, actually. Oh, wow. My 10th one. Can you talk a bit about um, sort of things that maybe surprised you or anything? Not in any definitive scientific way, if you can't yet, but just um, as far as the 10 people went, were they all sort of who you expected? And did you get answers that you were expecting? Um, yes and no. I I interviewed women specifically. Mm-hmm. I should mention uh, my supervisor recommended that because she, my co- committee member, my second supervisor, uh, she thought that men and women tend to have different ways to communicate. So if I focused on women, it would help my research. So I interviewed 10 women. They were in their early 20s, all students. Mm -hmm. And they all use ecstasy at least once a month, usually every couple weeks or every month or two. And yeah, the most interesting thing I learned that surprised me a little bit was a lot of them hadn't even heard of ecstasy testing kits. Mm -hmm. And I guess because I've been reading a lot about them just for my research, I just assumed everyone had at least heard of them. But I'd say at least half of them didn't even know what they were. Hmm. And also interesting was a few of the women um, weren't concerned about purity at all. They didn't even think about it when they took Hmm. ecstasy. They never thought, oh, is this going to be pure MDMA? Is it going to harm me? They just, it never crossed their mind. 
And so all of them were relying on their friends, though, to help them determine purity. Were they relying on, like, a friend who was dealing them the drugs or selling them to them? Or they were relying on friends who, like, bought a lot for everybody and were, like, assuring their friends that it was going to be okay to take it at a party or something? Right. Um, A few of them would rely on a friend who was the one selling the ecstasy. But the most common case was their friends and the person that I was interviewing would get the ecstasy together or their friend would give it to them. Hmm. And then the conversation would usually go something like, oh, is this good ecstasy or not? And the friend will usually say, oh, yeah, it's good. You know, I tried it and it was fun. (laughs) So that was their discussion about purity. Hmm. So it wasn't necessarily like, what's in here? Do you think it's pure MDMA or is there other drugs in it like crystal meth it was more is this good or bad Mm -hmm. and they when I asked them more about why do they um, care so strongly about their friend's opinion like why do they have the knowledge about it it was very um, experiential so well my friend tried it and she had a good time last week so I'm going to be fine Mm -hmm. so and if they didn't have that conversation, they at least assumed that their friend had already tried it, and then they were giving it to them because they knew it was good. Right. Um, did any of them say that they had asked somebody about MDMA and they were told, like, oh, no, this stuff is not good. This did not give me a good time. Or did that ever come up among them? Mm, no, I asked a few of them that, but they... They never really said that. They had a few stories about um, some friends who had a bad time on ecstasy, but their friend would never offer them the same stuff if they had a bad time. Right, yeah. Um, And you mentioned as well that you were asking them why they like to take it with friends rather than strangers. Did you get any insight into that at all? Yes, so the main response to that was the idea of trust. So... You getting ecstasy from friends and using it with friends, the main reason for that was trust. So everybody at some point in my interviews said, I trust my friends, so I know they um, will do everything they can to protect me. They would never give me something that they think would harm me in any way. And I like using ecstasy with my friends because I feel safe and we support each other. We always stay together. We go out to maybe the club or a show, but we're always together and take care of each other. So they really have a strong like support network uh, when they use ecstasy, which is good. And when I asked them, you know, would you take ecstasy from a stranger, like at a bar or a club, they all, almost all of them said no, they wouldn't. And the re- the main reason for that was because they don't trust strangers. You know, maybe a friend or sorry, a stranger is just selling them or giving them ecstasy because they want to make money or they want to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So they don't trust them that they're trying to look out for their best interests. Maybe they're just giving them some ecstasy and then they're going to leave and they don't care if it's bad ecstasy or not. Mm. Um, what do you do now that you have interviewed your, um, your 10 people? Um, what will you do with the data and how do you sort of process it and write stuff up about this? 
Yes. <laughs> That's the next step, right? So right now I'm transcribing all my interviews, so that's going to take a long time. So I'm listening to the interview recordings and typing everything word for word. So my interviews are about one hour long each, and they say that one hour of transcription is usually about six hours of typing it out. So that is going slowly. <laughs> I try and do a little bit every day. Mm-hmm. And then the next step will be looking for codes or themes in my data. So I might use software to do that, or I might do it by hand. I'm just trying to decide that. So for example, a code or a theme that I see right now is trust. Mm -hmm. So I'll go through all my typed out uh, interviews and look for every time my participant said the word trust and see what they have to say about it. And then I'll keep going through all my data to find more um, keywords like that. So peer pressure came up a few times, um, even more common words like purity or pure. And then so that'll help me find the main themes in my data. And then after that, I will start writing about my themes. Mm-hmm. That's really, that's interesting. How does, from like an anthropological perspective, I guess, what does it sort of mean, the themes that you're looking at? And what does it mean about people's MDMA use? What does it sort of say about us, I guess? Right. Um, I think one thing that I'm going to be looking for is in my data is why testing kits are not popular. So I'm going to see if there's a theme about um, our friends, the most common resource because of convenience. So is that something that people tend to do we tend to go for something that's convenient than something that you know takes more time so if I want to know if this ecstasy is good right now I might as well ask my friend instead of like ordering a testing kit or if I have one already you know you have to go through the process of actually testing it so I think that's a a big thing that makes people do what they do and also just people being so social that Um, making choices based on what your friends do or say is just something that people do, (laughs) (laughs) whether you realize it or not. Um, When, uh, before when you were working at uh, the center, you weren't just specifically looking at uh, MDMA use, you were looking at other recreational drugs as well? Yes. Was there like a wide variety or was there anything, I don't know, when you went into that job, were you, did you have any preconceived notions, I guess, about who you would be interacting with and the type of story and things you would be hearing? Or did, I guess, did it change your perspective at all talking to people about um, recreational drug use? Uh, when I started doing the interviews at the center, so where we filled out the survey together, I the most common drugs that people use for that survey are usually marijuana, mm. alcohol, ecstasy is one of the most common ones, mushrooms and acid, cocaine, and then some other ones, but those are the most common ones. So the most interesting thing that I learned from doing those surveys was how people tend to use them quite recreationally. Mm. So this is 
say 90% university students that do the survey. So they use these drugs, but they use them fairly responsibly, meaning they do their schoolwork during the week and then they party on Friday night. So they're not doing cocaine or ecstasy um, every day, not even every week. It's more like every, every couple weeks generally, I'd say um, the most common frequency would be about once or twice a month. Hmm. So, and then we ask questions in the survey such as how many days of work or school have you missed this year because of your drug use? And sometimes, you know, it's like two or three days, but often people say none. I, I do my school work during the week and then on the weekends I party. Mm-hmm. So they tend to balance out their life <laughs> Pretty well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about like uh, MDMA addiction. I mean, it's very like cocaine is addictive, and you hear about people who have cocaine problems and are addicted to it. But I haven't heard. I don't. I don't know if I've ever heard of any like reference in the media or anything about um, MDMA addiction. You hear stories about stuff that is not pure, and that uh, you know, like teens wind up dying from taking like uh, dirty pills or whatever. But um, do you see, like, is there the potential for people to become addicted to MDMA, or do you see that sort of happening at all? I don't, I don't know if you would, if you know. Or. Right. So I've done a bit of research on if MDMA is addictive or not, and generally people say no, it's not physically addictive. So compare that to heroin, where it's very physically addictive. If you stop taking it, you go through severe withdrawals. That doesn't happen with MDMA. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit psychologically addictive, but not in the same way that other drugs such as cocaine are, because with MDMA, the positive effects, they decrease over time, and it makes people less likely to take it, because, you know, the first couple times you use MDMA, you feel great, it makes you so happy, and all the serotonin is being released in your brain. But those effects go down quickly, and then the more you use it, the less you feel the positive effects. And so it's often people might do it a lot in the beginning, but then they stop feeling those effects, and and then the negative effects increase. So then they eventually stop using it so it's very rare to find at least someone who's addicted to MDMA long term mm-hmm. um, some of my interviews I asked the women if you know if any of their friends ever had any problems with MDMA use or any like trouble behavior that they're worried about and a couple of them actually said they knew people that used it a lot at least for a short period they were using it every week or someone had a friend who was using it every day Hmm. but then over time that generally stops compared to other drugs so such as cocaine i mean you don't always get the same effects over time but usually you're still getting some positive effects such as like the increased energy and and things like that that tend to keep coming from other drugs besides MDMA. Hmm. Interesting. Um, How uh, much longer are you working on your master's for? I hope to be finished (laughs) in the fall this Mm -hmm. year. So 
I'm not sure how long it'll actually take me to transcribe everything and then actually write my thesis, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping to finish in September to December period. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you have plans um, to carry on with this kind of research afterwards, or do you are you sort of going to finish this and be done and move on to something else? Right. So I want to start working after I finish my master's degree. I'm not sure exactly where, but I would like to work in the education field. So for my experience in the Speakers Bureau, where I give presentations to community groups, I did a few presentations at high schools, Hmm. which I really enjoyed. And so I would love to do something like that where I could... uh, study drugs and share that information in an educational setting and hopefully make a difference in some way at least helping people protect themselves when they use drugs Mm -hmm. like mdma yeah it's interesting having like a very frank discussion with you about this because i feel like there's sort of an absence of that a lot of the time possibly because people just don't know what um what kind of information there is out there. So um, do you think that, I mean, obviously, if you want to go and be a part of this, maybe you're seeing a deficit in the kind of information that's available to young people. I don't know. Do you, is there, do you think that there needs to be more discussion, say, at like high school level or beginning of university kind of? Right. Uh, in some ways, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are some positive changes happening. A lot of High schools and even middle schools are taking a more harm reduction approach to drug use. So in the past, it used to be all zero tolerance towards drugs. You know, the students shouldn't be using drugs. We're not going to give them information on how to protect themselves. We're just going to tell them why they're bad and then hope they don't use them. But the drug education programs in schools are changing a lot. So now a lot of schools do take a more harm reduction approach where they recognize that no matter what we say, students, some students are going to use drugs. So what can we do to protect them and make them educated so we can reduce the risks? So that would include things such as providing information on ecstasy testing kits in, as opposed to just hoping they don't know they exist. Right. <laughs> Um, and so I think things are heading in a positive way, but it could always, you know, be improved. And there's some schools that still take a zero tolerant, zero tolerance approach. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's for, you know, religious reasons or other reasons, but Mm -hmm. maybe it was a couple years ago or a year ago, uh, BC's uh, chief, medical officer or chief health officer, I can't remember now, Dr. Perry Candles made um, a statement about MDMA saying that in and of itself, the drug he thought is um, not so dangerous that it needed to be, uh, man, I don't remember his exact words now, but he made a comment on um, how it was not as dangerous, say, as things that are so highly addictive, like heroin, things like that. Um, Do comments like that impact your work in what you wind up doing at the center or how you interact with people? Do you ever hear from people that are in those communities that are interested, like recreational drug communities? Does that impact the way they interact with you at all when somebody in like a a position of authority makes a statement like that on a drug that is illegal? 
Right. So at the center that I work at, so they take a very harm reduction approach. And so they're aware of the different opinions people have on drugs. And, you know, they recognize that there's benefits to drug use or benefits to some <laughs> drug use, which we actually ask people on the surveys as well, you know, what are the benefits of drug use for you? And often it's like, well, I have fun, I get to meet new people who are using drugs, it creates a sense of community, uh, it reduces my anxiety. So the center recognizes there's positives and negatives to drug use. And so I think it's important to recognize why people make statements like that. So, you know, somebody who obviously knows what they're talking about is saying that MDMA may not be as bad as we make it seem. I think that can impact drug users' view of it if they just focus on that, you know, and often headlines in newspapers just take out <laughs> part of <laughs> part of the statement and then, you know, mm -hmm. you just see, oh, MDMA is good for you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's that's why it's important to be educated on these things. So, for example, in the presentation I did at high school last week, I talked about some of the benefits of MDMA use because I assume that some of the students will see this type of thing in the news. For example, there's research happening right now, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. So uh, there's approved studies happening. The studies have been approved by Health Canada, by Ethics Board, and they're giving, researchers are giving participants MDMA during therapy sessions to people who have post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety related to end-of-life illnesses and also to uh, autistic individuals who have social anxiety. So they're actually using MDMA as a medicine. So I think it's important to recognize that, but you have to look at the other side of it. So using MDMA in therapy doesn't mean it's always safe in all contexts. So when they're using MDMA in these therapy sessions, they've pre-screened all the participants to make sure they don't have any health problems, especially heart problems, that can make taking MDMA dangerous because it's hard on your cardiovascular system because it's a stimulant. And they also have medical staff with them at all time. If they ever do have a problem, they can help them right away. And also the MDMA is pure MDMA and the quantity is measured. So compare that to the recreational setting. You may have a health problem that you do or do not know about that can interact with the MDMA. If you're on uh, medication, such as antidepressants, that can have a deadly interaction with MDMA. You don't know if you're actually taking MDMA or the dosage in one pill can be anywhere from zero milligrams to over 200 milligrams, and you don't have medical staff with you at all times. So it really depends on your setting and so many factors. <laughs> so I think it's good to recognize the how MDMA can be taken safely, but then also recognize that you probably you're not taking it in the same safe setting. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, you must get, um, 
quite a reaction from kids. Like, do they have a lot of questions for you and want to talk to you about it after you talk to them? Or do they, you have that opportunity with them? Um, I always give them opportunity to ask me questions. So the high school students are often a little bit shy, but I've had a few questions such as, what drug do you think is the safest to take? So that was a presentation I did on a few different drugs. And of course, there's not an easy answer to that. I'd say, you know, there's no safe drug. It really depends, you know, is the drug pure? Mm -hmm. How much are you taking? How's your health? You know, and they ask me, uh, I actually did a presentation at a jail last week, so that was to adults, 19 and over. They had a lot of questions, so they were less shy than the high school students. Huh. <laughs> so they asked uh, que questions such as, what is the best approach to helping protect people who use MDMA, and what can I, what can I tell my friend? So they listened to me, <laughs> basically... And can't think of another example. They actually had a lot of a lot of questions. Hmm. And you're talking to uh, your talk at the jail was specifically about your MDMA research. Yes, interesting, huh? Um, yeah, I guess there's all sorts of populations that are interested in recreational drugs um, that may not get the chance, the opportunity to actually talk to somebody who's doing research in that field or knows about it. Interesting. Yes. And some people also ask me about the testing kits, about mm. where can I get them. And one question that the high school students raised was, can we get these test kits somewhere besides online? Because right now they're only available online. So the, the high school students, you know, they usually live with their parents and they don't have a credit card. So that's a barrier in right. place right now. We're all out of time now. I want to thank you so much for coming in and talking to me today. Thank you. And uh, good, good luck uh, finishing up your research and Thanks. getting done in time. That's always yeah. a tough question, asking <laughs> grad students when they think they're going to be done. <laughs> Never. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Jargon. If you want to listen again, go to our website, cfuv.uvic.ca, and click on the Listen tab.